Yes, good people, it's Francis here from Let's Do Humans podcast. This is just a quick announcement, just to encourage everybody here that's listening to our podcast right now, just to ensure that you subscribe and you follow us on all of the various platforms out there that produce podcasts, that's subscribing to us on YouTube, following us on iTunes and Spotify. I mean, follow us, make sure that you share our content and continue your support, that'll be greatly appreciated. That's Let's Do Humans, L-E-T-S-D-O-H-U-M-A-N-S, Let's Do Humans, one word. Appreciate all of your support. Stay blessed, good people. Just a quick introduction. Who would you say um, Emily is? Uh, how do you pronounce your surname, by the way? Can you see I've been kind of careful in not mispronouncing your surname. Yeah, it's Eckert. Okay, Eckert. Okay, that's exactly what I thought it would be pronounced. Because, <laughs> I mean, when it comes to my surname, people always tend to butcher it. So I try not to butcher other people's surnames. <laughs> <laughs> no, I appreciate that, yeah. Um, it's funny, yes, you know, who am I? And so I was thinking about the past couple of days and I'm like, well, unfortunately I can't say I'm the international man of mystery. So what else can I come up with? That's like, <laughs> yeah. So I came up with international woman of sustainable empowerment, which doesn't, it doesn't zing as nicely, <laughs> but, um, yeah, I, you know, my story is international. I was adopted. I have a multicultural family mm. and sustainability has been important to me since I can, since I've been old enough to understand what it means mm. <laughs> uh, and, and protecting the planet and, and making sure that, that we have a planet that's healthy and strong that can sustain not only itself, but also humanity, because without the planet, humanity wouldn't be, wouldn't be able to sustain itself. And then empowerment. I really love how you mentioned mentorship mm -hmm. because that's part of what I've enjoyed doing most of my life. And I, I've also uh, dabbled a little bit in neuro-linguistic programming and um, I do executive coaching as well. And so the empowerment piece of helping people understand that they are in control, that they have options and bringing hope back into their lives when they don't have it. And that to me is really important because if, if a person feels empowered, they will make a positive impact not just on themselves, but on everybody around them as well. Yeah, most definitely. I think one of the, one of the most interesting things that you mentioned there is in regards to like empowering people to let them know that they're in control. I think when it comes to the conversation about sustainability, we always think that it's someone else's responsibility. Because I mean, I've been in that position myself when I was younger and um, these conversations used to be brought up about, you know, global warming and, you know, the lack of resources and the, the, the overuse of resources. I always thought it was, it was a responsibility that should have been that should be bestowed upon those who are in like a higher position of power or those major industrialists who can actively control these things. But I think more and more we're starting to learn that as individuals, there's stuff that we can do on a micro level, which has major impacts as as we go along. And is that some of the work that you're doing in terms of like informing people on, on those um, things that they can do? Yeah, it's so important that we have all 
key components coming together. So you're right, you know, businesses and political leaders are one aspect on how we can improve our environmental situation. But as consumers and as individuals, we have a ripple effect. And sometimes we don't even know it. I guess the, the easiest way to, bless you, to portray this right now is there, there are statistics and there's proof that consumer trends are increasing when it comes to consumers demanding socially and environmentally responsible products. And so we are now at a point in history where we have that, that calculated backing to the fact that as consumers, we make a difference. Because if each consumer chooses a certain product, vendors will see that. Vendors want to thrive, right? Vendors want to be financially sustainable. In order to do that, they need to make sure that they're adjusting their products and their operations to meet what the consumers want, what they're demanding. Mm, so yes, and, and I've also learned that oftentimes what we do in our own lives impacts people that we don't even know it impacts. Yeah. And people are watching us all the time. They may not say anything, but they're watching us and they're hearing us and they look at our purchase habits and our eating or diet habits and uh, you know our styles and the words and stories and education and topics that we talk about. And so oftentimes we impact people and we don't even know that we've impacted somebody. Yeah, most definitely. And I think, I mean, having conversations like these and educating others is I think one of the most vital parts of the, the COG here, because there's something interesting I recently learned and I was kind of blown away by it and I felt slightly sad. And I was in regards to like food banks. So I used to be an avid believer that food banks are fantastic. So, uh, you know, go donate, go donate, go donate to food banks. But it's only recently that I understood that also the type of food that you donate to food banks can either have a positive or negative um, um, effect on the environment. So foods that they can't store, for instance, for long-term periods, or foods that they don't have, you know, the freezer space to, to keep refrigerated, that they end up having to dump these foods anyway. So you've got whole bunch of like major super superstores and high street stores that are wanting to donate to food banks and they end up donating to food banks, but then these foods end up going into the um, into the tips and thrown thrown away. Because I recently mm. had an interesting conversation with a gentleman here in the UK called Alan Smith and he runs he runs like a, a unique food bank store where you know all the food is free for anyone and everybody within the community as long as you offer some form of services to the organization whether you help them repair people's homes or do something so it's an exchange for um, exchange of services for for food and he informed me about this whole issue this whole underlying issue that many people that donate to food banks don't know that you know it's essential to donate the right types of food to have longevity and, you know, it was hard hitting because after releasing that podcast, so many people came back to me and they were as shocked as I was because they thought they were doing something majorly good by just continuously taking all these type of foods into the food bank, not knowing that it was having the opposite effect that they thought it would have. So it's, it's quite vital to have these conversations. But um, as, we're, as we're on this subject, Matt, can you tell me a bit about sort of Go Viable, your organization and um, how that came about and what, you, what is exactly that you do? Sure. So Go Viably, it stemmed from my own frustrations of being a consumer. 
And conversations that I've had with small and medium-sized businesses through my various careers, the big vision is 10 years from now, all products are by default socially and environmentally responsible. So as an example, let's say you have a back, you have two backpacks. One backpack is conventionally produced. So the supply chain is the supply chain that's been around for 20 years. Nothing's really changed. Probably produced in China in a factory that doesn't have great, uh, you know, the indoor environment is not great for the employees. They may not be compensated, right? Then you have a backpack that is socially responsible, meaning the people who produce it are fairly paid, compensated for their time. The materials that are used are renewable materials or, or recycled materials. And if these two backpacks were at the same exact cost, which one do you think most people would choose? Yeah, right? sustainable. Yeah, exactly. And so we need to get to that point where the fact that a product is socially and environmentally responsible is a given. It's still considered kind of a luxury. And, and we need to move past that phase in history and move on to the phase where that's the norm. And Go Viably looks at this as, you know, three key components in the economy, the supply chains, the vendors, and the consumers. And so we help both the supply chains and vendors integrate some of that social and environmental responsibility into the core of their business model. And in a way where it's not just environmentally sustainable, but also financially sustainable. Oftentimes people don't realize, but many updates or uh, changes in habits that a business can do to its operations or to its corporate culture actually also helps the bottom line for the business. Mm. And then on the flip side, we're here to provide a sustainable marketplace for consumers so they can have a one-stop shop. I know that's kind of a, a cheesy saying, but a one-stop shop for pre-vetted sustainable products. And one of the, the things that I've observed when talking to businesses is it's not that the business doesn't want to do the right thing. Sometimes they just don't know where to start. They don't know what to do. They don't know where to start. With small and medium-sized businesses, oftentimes the owners and CEOs are in depth with the day-to-day -day operations and don't have time to kind of step back and take a look at the big picture of their business in the future in the next three, five, 10 years. Yeah. And so, you know, I've looked at, you think about the Googles and the Apples of the world and they have the resources to have a sustainability department. They have the resources to do the research and development to change their supply chain, to put some pressure on their suppliers so the suppliers can become more socially and environmentally responsible. And where Go Viably wants to help is to make sure that all businesses have access to that not just the big ones, but also small and medium-sized businesses. So they're not left out in this transition. And so they can see themselves thriving in the future as well. Yeah. What, what would you say some of the biggest challenges when pitching this to um, businesses in particular? Because I know, I mean, whenever you discuss um, 
sustainability businesses, the main issue or the main worry is always the effect it's going to have on their bottom line because they're thinking, well, okay, now we're going to have to spend a whole bunch of money in becoming sustainable and restructuring our whole um, process and procedures. So how, how do you tackle that? Yeah, there's, it, it's an interesting question because as with everything, there's that, that early adopter curve, right? Early adopters and so on and so on. So there's some businesses we speak to that already understand the importance of doing this and they, they hop on board right away. The challenge comes in when a business kind of still has that still has that mindset that transitioning to be more sustainable means by default spending money. Or one of the biggest challenges on a business side and on a consumer side sometimes is you may have to invest a little bit more upfront, but throughout the operational cost, you're spending less money. So as an example, electric vehicles are probably the easiest to use, right? Electric vehicles, luckily, because of a lot of incentives, they're not that much more expensive anymore. When they started out on the front end, they were more expensive than a fossil fuel vehicle, but you don't have to do oil changes and, and you have a lot less maintenance. You don't have O2 sensors, right? And so throughout the lifespan of the car, you're saving money. So sometimes it's that shift in the mindset of, of how much do I spend now in order to save in the long run? And it's interesting to me because back in the day, people would buy something. And, and I mean, like back in the day, <laughs> people would buy something and they would keep it forever because they would keep fixing it. Right. Yeah. And then we transitioned to this economy of, well, if something breaks, I'm just going to buy a new right. one. Exactly. And and now we're in this phase of going back to the original mindset of, well, when we buy something, it needs to last, right? We're investing in something. We can't just have this throwaway economy. Yeah, that's true. Um, I think one of the things that um, really helps when it comes, especially nowadays with social media, everything is that social pressure kind of, we, we sh we're starting to see more evidence that social pressure um, pushes government um, legislation to some extent. So here in London, for instance, um, you can't drive into the city now if your car emits a certain level of um, um, CO2 or whatever, depending on the size of your, your car engine. So they have something called ULIS charge. So if you're driving into the city and your car is massive, you've got a massive engine, you're going to get charged ridiculous fees. And if you don't pay it, the fines are astronomical. So no one drives into the city no more, <laughs> unless you have an electric car or, I don't know, a smart car or a small motorbike or whatever. And these are government legislations that came about through social pressures and, you know, governments getting involved. Like, um, are you working on any sort of lobbying work in terms of like government legislations in in pushing forward organizations or corporations to be more sustainable? I am not. There's there's other organizations that are, but Go Viably is geared more towards the helping the actual businesses mm. and providing them the knowledge and the tools. Because again, I believe it's important that politics or leadership in politics as well as businesses, as well as consumers. We all need to come together. Personally, I believe that corporations and companies and businesses 
have such an amazing platform to be leaders without needing to be forced to be leaders, right? As entrepreneurs, by default, we're leaders. And so let's use that as a positive. Let's use that to make a positive impact and do the right thing, regardless of whether we're being forced to do it or not. Yeah, most definitely. Um, how is um, success measured? So how is progress or success measured within the, the field of work that you do? So how do you know if the organization is now on the right path? Yeah, that's a great question. We're actually developing a sustainability certification. Mm -hmm. So what that means is we're going to, or we have built out specific parameters mm -hmm. and we you know, gather the information from the vendor and we're going to develop it in a couple of ways because you can look at success of a product comparing one product to the conventional product. So let's take, for example, well, we can use the backpack example, right? If you have backpack A, which is conventional, and backpack B, which is sustainable, there's a comparison there. Backpack A is kind of the baseline. The conventional is the baseline. And then we can assess how much better is backpack B because of the specific steps or materials that they use or the way that it's manufactured. So part of it is comparing almost apples to apples and seeing which one's more sustainable. The other is, you know, I, we look at it in five different categories. So corporate culture, building utilities and management, you have innovation and operations, then you have the supply chain and the distribution and transportation. And then you have the waste management and the product life cycle. So in each one of those categories, we take a look at what's the baseline, what has been done up until now, and what brings it to that level of, okay, now the impact you make within that category is either neutral or positive impact. Okay. Oh, that's fantastic. Um, I came across a, a really like um, intriguing um, innovation most recently. I'm not sure if you come across them. It's, it's the, um, the coconut shell wooden pallets. So, you know, um, when containers are shipped from China across the world and, you know, back and forth, they, they use, they either use the plastic or the wooden um, pallets. And there's this organization, I forgot the name of the organization, but they, they, they work along, along, line, along the lines of um, creating sustainable um, shipping material and they started using recycle, recycled um, coconut shells from Africa and various countries in Asia and they were turning them into the wooden pallets and once they arrived in the countries of, um, of, of import um, they, they would recycle them if they'd be broken whatever and continue this, the chain and they managed to I forgot what, they, what the gentleman said in the presentation but I think they, they managed the cycle was I think five years per pallet was before it was one shipment and then nobody knows what happens to this pallet afterwards and they'll, they'll create another wooden or plastic pallet in China or wherever they, the goods were being shipped from. And I thought that was a great innovation and I, I was surprised as to why that hasn't been thought of before considering that we're supposed to be these intelligent species that are always forward thinking but I think as, as we speak about these things more and more, more people are becoming more innovative and it's creating more businesses in regards to the sustainable industry. And that was a great one that I found and I thought I'll, I'll share with you if it's something that you saw or you've come across something similar. Yeah, no, thank you for sharing. I, I, I love that part. Although we're in a crisis, mm. 
I love the innovative part of getting us out of the crisis. Because like you said, we are an intelligent species, Mm -hmm. right? So there's so many people that have so many fantastic ideas, but oftentimes there's comfort in doing things the way they've they've always been done. And because we are facing this environmental crisis, it's one of those pivotal moments like the industrial revolution where people are realizing we need to bring that innovation mm-hmm. above the sea, right? We, we need to start looking and, and harnessing that and leveraging that. <clears throat> That's a fantastic example. Yeah, uh, with the, with the it, was a, it was a great one that I came across because I mean, I, I, to me, I'm always thinking about the, the process of pace. So can we keep up the pace that we're currently um at it's like you know how plausible is that how far and how long do we have until this pace can't be kept up and there's there's no turning back so that's one of the questions i'm always asking myself and it's like i think the pressure needs to be ramped up in regards to being innovative with it because we can be more innovative we can be more sustainable so in terms of like the pace that we're currently producing stuff how how is it in, in your research or your findings is it are we are we above the curve? Like, where are we in terms of like the pace? Are we, you know, is the pushback strong enough? And is the is the current innovations to change strong enough? Like, what, what's happening within the field? Yeah, I'll answer that, but I will tell you statistics. I'm not a st- statistician, yeah, <laughs> but I know there's a lot of statistics. But yeah. regardless of the statistics. Mm. If you just look at the amount that we consume and produce Mm. and the resources we use, we're we're doing it too fast. We're we're doing it too fast. We're consuming too much. And in regards to, to innovation, I've had conversations, this goes back to your question of of challenges with talking to business owners. Mm. I've had conversations with business owners where they say, well, but, you know, batteries will evolve. And, and so I'm just going to wait another 10 years until energy storage is, you know, comes down in price or it, the technology gets better in 10 years or whatever the case may be. The important thing is leveraging innovation at the same time, leveraging the positive technology we already have, because we can't wait for the golden egg of technology that will flip a switch and the whole world becomes sustainable. So we need to harness both. We need to encourage innovation. In the meantime, we need to utilize what we already have as best as we can. And so for those conversations, honestly, you could just wait indefinitely (laughs) 10 years goes by and there's always going to be some kind of innovation or change to a product maybe not always but most of the time so at some point you just have to say okay what's the best thing that I can do now and then fine if 10 years from now something better comes up then you know look at the cost effectiveness of adopting that but but what are you doing now that you can do to, to improve your situation most definitely. Um, is, is, are you currently working with um, in, international organizations or is it mainly stateside? International. So actually a couple of my team members are in Canada um, okay. and we um, 
also have some partnerships developing in Europe. And so it's definitely an international because supply chains are international, mm. right? Selling products is international and <clears throat> we need to make sure that this is a global effort, not a, not a national effort, but a global effort. Yeah, because the reason I asked that is, um, do you find that there's differences in, in culture and um, the, the ideals behind sort of like sustainability? Because I mean, I, I'm, I'm originating, so I'm originally from Ghana. And um, wh when I go to Ghana, the idea of sustainability isn't even a conversation. It, there's other worries. It seems that, you know, different cultures and different eco-social eco statuses bring forth different conversations and different worries. So at the moment, and I feel like in order for this to work, it has to be sort of like a global um, unified front. But um, where, where you have different cultures looking at sustainability from a different lens, it becomes a bit of an issue because, you know, what, one side might be picking up, but then the other side is dropping. So it's like, where, where is that balance supposed to be found? Because I've had this conversation before and it just, it just wasn't a conversation at all to be had in, in that country in particular because their worries were completely different and that's where i think you know the global effort needs to be more um, spread widely so widely you're right you know it depends on it depends on the survival needs mm -hmm. right and, and where a specific culture might be i think a society, community, or culture, that conversation is a little bit different than the belief system. I think there are two different conversations there. I, I have people that have asked, well, you know, if the U.S. does all these great things, and then there's developing countries which are still using coal or, you know, still, still emitting a lot of carbon or uh, are not creating the same type of commitments that we are, my take on that is if we have, again, it comes back to leadership. <laughs> leadership is about helping everybody and bringing everybody up with you. It's not about you being in the top mm -hmm. and doing everything for your own comfort and your own survival. Being a true leader is bringing everybody along. And if we can set the right precedent as a business owner, as an entrepreneur, as a politician, as, as whoever, if you set the right precedent, again, goes back to that conversation of the ripple effect. And the people that right now are more concerned about a, you know, their, their livelihood of their farm, which is being impacted by a drought, which can be impacted because of climate change, <laughs> you know, they're more concerned, those, those family-owned farms are more concerned with their survival right now and there's nothing that other than them surviving and putting food on the table for their kids i can't blame them for that being their concern right or if, if their national economy is very weak right now unfortunately i can't blame them for wanting to strengthen their economy i think other people, other countries, other businesses need to be able to show you can strengthen your economy, you can strengthen your business by being socially and environmentally responsible. And this is how you do it and, and prove it by doing it and showing it instead of just talking about it.
Yeah, most definitely. I think leadership is always essential. And when you're in that position, uh, it's, it's, it's always essential to show, show the example by moving forward for a better place. Um, you, you said earlier on that, you know, um, sustainability has always been um, something that you was interested in and, you know, something that, that inspired you to grow your organization and your company. Um, was there one particular thing that you saw or heard or got yourself engaged in that thought, no, you need to do something about this? Or was it accumulation? Yeah, a... Sorry? No, so, or was it an accumulation of things that you thought, okay, I need to... <laughs> it was, um, I, I grew up in Connecticut, which is a beautiful state. And I had a beautiful home surrounded by woods and, and we could run around in the yard. And so ever since I was little, I had exposure to nature. <clears throat> and so I've always loved animals. But the, the moment that kind of blossomed my efforts, I guess, was when I was a teenager, when I was in high school, I worked at, an, at a local aquarium. And one of my jobs there was being an exhibit educator. So I was standing there. It was, it was, don't remember what month, but it was a humid, typical East Coast day. <clears throat> I had the tank with the beluga whales behind me. So we had three beluga whales there at the time. And I was teaching the audience and, and the visitors about conservation of animals and beluga whales. And I remember finishing that spiel and then that light bulb went off of, okay, I'm here and I'm teaching people about conserving animals, but then I go home and eat them. <laughs> like it just, it just didn't click. I'm like, that doesn't make sense. I understand that that you know you can't just raise a whale on a farm, but but still that that value, that life is the same, regardless of whether it's an animal in the ocean or an animal on land. So and that was the light bulb moment. And then I started being much more active in animal advocacy. But as I researched that, I learned more about the emissions and, and the environmental degradation that happens because of farming. <clears throat> and I'm sure that my, my oldest sibling was a vegan for a while. So I had some, some influence from that as well. Uh, but that that was kind of the time when when I really started to evolve myself as an active participant in it. Okay, amazing. Um, the, you just mentioned the, the animals. So I recently watched um, Sea Spiracy, and um, it, it brought forth a lot of questions. And it's, that's why I like I like I like documentaries. I'm a lover of documentaries. I'm a lover of information because there's there's some things that you might think you have an idea about. Or you have a perceived notion about, it. but then when the when it comes down to the facts, then it's like, wow, okay, this completely blown my ideals out, out the water right now. So I, I didn't know the impact that eating fish had on other animals, for instance, like you know the killing of whales and stuff like that. And watching that documentary completely blew my mind because the chain is ridiculous and it's crazy when you look at it on a on a wider scale. I'm not sure if you've seen it yet, conspiracy. Oh, you haven't seen it, yeah. I, I, I have not. And I, and I, I will say, <clears throat> I've done a lot of research myself. And mm. the part of the reason why I haven't watched it is because I know I'd sit there and be crying pretty much the whole movie. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I, I was in shock for pretty much most of it. And it, it takes a lot to shock me because I watch a lot of crazy documentaries. 
and <laughs> watching documentary about fish that shocks you in terms of when you realize what it takes to put the fish in front of you and what other animals get killed um, in the process and how that has a major impact on the ocean and eventually is going to have an impact on on us as, in, as human beings is it, quite intriguing and um, yeah, and, and it just brought forward, it just brought a question to me about the chain. It's like, we never really think about the chain. We always think about what's in front of us right now. Mm -hmm. So it's like, you know, I've got this, this plastic bottle here, but you don't realize what's behind it and the chain behind it as well. And bringing that to the forefront, I think it's essential in the fight for sustainability and letting people understand what it actually takes to produce the things that we do produce and the things that we take advantage of. And we don't necessarily um, take care of properly after use as well, the aftercare where we're recycling or reprocessing and reusing. And that's one of the essential parts. Is, is there an educational process to um, the work the organization does with other companies? There is. So part of the, the equation or, or this transformation <clears throat> is adding that extra step of transparency. And that's part of what our e-commerce site will be or our marketplace will be in the sense of consumers will now have more transparency into what exactly the businesses they're buying from do or don't do, what kind of actions they have put into place. So, so it is the first time, not the first time in history, that's not the right way to put it. It has bubbled up that consumers are finally starting to care what happens behind the scenes. Uh, we, we went through this phase that we talked about earlier where we just kind of keep buying things. When they break, we buy and we don't really look at what's behind the scenes. And now we're starting to realize more and more people care about what's behind the scenes. And if that's a negative thing, then they'll put their money elsewhere. So yes, part of what we're doing is, is improving that transparency and learning how to utilize technology to keep track of some of these things mm -hmm. and how we can use technology to share the information with consumers. Yeah, most definitely. Uh, what can individuals do on a, on a micro level, sort of like some of the practical things that we can do to be more sustainable? Yeah, so, so a couple of things. Probably by far the easiest thing to do mm. is to adopt a plant-based diet. I've, I've been doing it for a long time. This brings into the conversation how I mentioned before that belief systems yeah. can be a challenge. Yeah. <clears throat> so I grew up in uh, my, my mom's side of the family is from the Czech Republic. Mm. So I, I did get that from my parents. I grew up in this multicultural family. And so I could look at things from different perspectives and different cultures. But my grandmother has a really hard time on that side understanding why, <laughs> because that's what the culture, it's rooted in a heavy meat-based diet. But again, all the research and science is out there that farming animals has one of the largest negative impacts on the environment. <clears throat> and so that's, that's an easiest thing. If you're looking for an idea that's very low cost money, you're spending food on anyway, look at what type of food you're consuming. Second thing we can do is be more diligent with recycling. So recycling can be tricky 
because there are certain things that people think you can recycle, but you can't recycle. So just like you mentioned with the food shelf, recycling can be one of those challenges. If you, you can't necessarily recycle a cardboard container if it has a wax coating on the inside. Or if you have a plastic bottle and it has a plastic wrapper on it, really, you should take that wrapper off and separate it. Or if you have a notebook and it has the little metal spirals, you want to detach the spirals from the from the paper. So being more conscientious about how you recycle. Most people at this point recycle. So being a little bit more diligent on how you recycle. And oftentimes the best resource is just to reach out to your waste management company that you have there or your municipality, if it's the municipality that's doing it. And anything you can do within your home. Within your home, you have the option to choose LED lights and those are very energy efficient. And you can look at things when you paint your walls, what type of wall paint are you using, right? Is it zero VOC, which is better for the environment, but it's actually better for us too, for the indoor quality and the indoor environment, not having as many chemicals off-gassing. And then last one I'll throw out there is whenever you can buy something used that somebody doesn't need anymore, it's so important to to lengthen the lifespan of a product as long as you can. So oftentimes you'll hear a conversation of what uses more resources, a paper bag or a reusable shopping bag. The reusable shopping bag might use more resources, but you can use it for, I don't, you know, I've had mine for over 20 years. (laughs) You can use them for a really long time. So, making sure that if you buy something that you buy it and it lasts a long time and you you use it as long as you can if you don't need it anymore sell it or gift it to somebody that can use it that's amazing bit of advice actually um so i mean i I come from a family where um, our diet is heavily meat based and it's only recently and it's, it's only recently my mind's been changed slightly from watching tons of documentaries and reading loads and having conversations with people that that have kind of highlighted the impact that it's having not only on myself, but also on the environment. So I cut down for, so I only have meat between Monday and Fridays. Now Saturday and Sunday, no meat whatsoever, plant-based. I had my first um, plant-based McDonald's um, about two weeks ago. <laughs> I was on a motorway, I was on, I was on a road trip on a long journey to go and pick up something. And then um, I stopped by one of the um, service stations and I was starving <laughs> and there was only McDonald's that was open. So I was just about to buy fries, but then I realized they had a plant-based uh, burger there and it wasn't too bad actually. And I was like, I was messaging my boys and being like, oh my gosh, I'm about to have a plant-based burger. I can't believe this. <laughs> and uh, It's like, we have these weird preconceived notions that it's going to taste bad and it's going to be horrible. And you know, it's not meant for us. And I had to buy into it. I was like, this burger is actually okay. It tastes like a burger. <laughs> I mean, it's all it's all mental. It's all in the mind as well. So it's like a, a lot of changing mindset and education plays a major part because had I not been informed by all the individuals I'm speaking to and all the various um, outlets and documentaries I'm watching, I would have ended up buying a Big Mac <laughs> at the service <laughs> station. But now I'm kind of, I'm gradually changing and I'm gradually coming around to it. So at least I've cut down from seven days worth of meat to five days worth of meat now. And, you know, we see where that goes. 
So I think education is, is vitally important. It's been, it's been important for my journey and you know, I hope it's important for other people as well. And they, they get to pick something up from these conversations that we're having. But um, go, going forward, what's, what's happening with your organization in terms of its vision for the future? What, what are some of your plans that you'd like the audience and my listeners to know about? Sure, so the, the most exciting plan <laughs> is this year <clears throat> developing the sustainable marketplace. So it'll be an online marketplace. Mm-hmm. And to me, that's, that's exciting because I've had the frustrations of researching different products and spending 30 extra minutes or an hour extra or even longer, making sure that I have the product that I want in a sustainable version. So that that is a that will be a big milestone is to be able to share a platform with consumers where they can be confident in the products. <clears throat> and then the other the other goal is to impact at least 150 businesses this year mm-hmm. in them developing their sustainable, their social and environmental uh, game plans for the future. That's amazing. I look forward to that. And um, I mean, it's, it's been a pleasure having you on. I wanted this to just kind of be like an introductory to some of the work that you do and why you do it and the reason why it's important, because I think it's great to share this type of knowledge and then have people um, start thinking about it. I think the thinking process mm. is always the most important because the thinking process has been the most important for me in terms of the way I see things now. Like, as you talked about reusing stuff, it's like, I, I, I try not to shop much now. In terms of clothing, I shop for clothing maybe once a year and that's if I'm going on a major holiday and I don't have any any <laughs> any shorts to take with me and so forth and this all comes from the education that I've gained from having conversations it's like throughout the year why do I need to buy 20 pairs of jeans for when you know I just need one pair of blue ones and a black ones and then I'm good for, I'm good for until one of them rips or something happens and I need a new pair yeah. so all that advice is essential in, in, in sort of like because I believe the micro actions is is great it's great to teach people about micro actions because sometimes we're kind of inundated with all these big ideas and big things in terms of how we can all change the world and how we can all become better and more sustainable and it becomes a bit too scary when you look at it from such a massive scale and it looks like a big job that you can't handle which was what i was explaining before i used to always think that you know it's to be left for those who are building and making stuff and really truly i'm contributing to that by you know taking small micro actions, so how can I do that in the opposite way that can benefit the the, the planet as such? So I really appreciate the advice, and really appreciate you coming on the podcast and sharing that. And um, we'll definitely, I'll definitely want to catch up again, and we delve in a bit deeper and talk further about some of the work that you're doing, and also um, some of the other projects that you've got coming up as well. So it's been an absolute pleasure, and I'd like to thank you for coming on Lester Humans podcast. Thank you. I love having these conversations. I appreciate. <clears throat> the questions you asked, because that's part of it is, is going back to that idea of empowerment is empowering people to ask questions, not to just accept what has been around because it has been around. So I appreciate you asking the questions and helping get the information out there. This has, this has been really, really enjoyable. Yeah, appreciate that. What, what you appreciate it.